Hi there, this is Alana Terry. You are listening to the Successful Writer Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. What I have are audio snippets from a Facebook Live I did based on the book Newsletter Ninja by Tammy Labrec. It's a great book. Highly recommend it if you want help with running an author newsletter, what kinds of emails to send, the tone of the emails, lots of good stuff. So the Facebook Live had a lot of interaction, but since it happened in a closed group, what I did is I just kind of edited chunks to where it was just me talking. So I hope that you enjoy this little dive into Newsletter Ninja by Tammy Labreck. We're here. We're going to get things started. So we talked about the goal of your newsletter list. The goal of your newsletter list, according to Tammy in this book, isn't just to sell your books. And that was for sure, um, like it made total sense to me, but I never thought about it in these ways. How the goal of your newsletter list is really to create super fans, you know, people who are going to love you, love your books, buy everything you write. But basically, she put the emphasis on in your newsletter, you're selling yourself, you're not selling your books. So that was pretty interesting. So I'm using ConvertKit. Super happy with them. One of the neat things that ConvertKit allows you to do is kind of like tag readers and segment them. So for example, like I can tag readers if I know they like suspense versus if they like romance. If people tell me like, I don't like romance at all. If I have a new romance book, I can exclude them from those emails. So that part's really nice. And then ConvertKit makes a really easy um, automation sequence as well. So I'm pretty happy with it. What I've heard about ConvertKit is that it's got some of the bells and whistles, but it's maybe more intuitive than some of the other really fancy programs, but it it's up there in cost. Like I think right now I'm paying, I forget if it's 80 or a hundred dollars a month. And that's only for like, you know, a little bit over 5,000 subscribers. So it can be pretty pricey, but yeah. What about lead magnets in the book? It was kind of cute. She calls these cookies. Like you need to train. And I've heard this before too, like train your newsletter readers to open your emails by giving them cookies like you know they should look forward to seeing your emails is kind of the way um we should put it so like your cookies are just kind of like your bribes right when you go to my website i'm using a three book giveaway so basically you sign up on the web page you get added to the list and you get taken to a book funnel page where you can download up to three new books at once that like, let's say you're just starting out, like maybe you have one book or two books that could be a little bit trickier. Do you know one thing that she emphasized in Newsletter Ninja that I think is important to emphasize is like whatever your lead magnet is, it should definitely tie in genre wise to what you write. So like, it wouldn't make sense if you're a sci-fi writer to have your lead magnet be like a book of devotionals <laughs> or something. Um, talking about lead magnets. So here's another question. This didn't come up in the book, but I'm just kind of curious, like, are we getting to where readers have gotten so much, so many free books that it's less effective? I, I kind of agree that maybe the lead magnets are a little bit less effective. Like if you had jumped onto this like three or four or five years ago, I think people would have been like, wow, you know, a free book. That's so cool. But now so many authors are doing it. I really do feel like we kind of need to step it up, you know, not only with our lead magnets, but also with our newsletters. It's like, how often do you send out newsletters? And I'm glad that she drove it home in the book too, is that 
it's okay to do things that you would hate. Like a lot of us would say, I don't want to email my subscribers every week. Like I would hate getting an email every week from somebody, but we're not our ideal customer or our ideal subscriber. And they're, they are the people who really love to hear from us. So I think that that's important. She also talked in Newsletter Ninja about having an avatar for your perfect subscriber who is slightly different than your perfect reader. And this was new for me because I've definitely thought about like avatars and like who your ideal reader is and things like that. But I didn't make a distinction between that and, you know, your ideal newsletter subscriber. So like I'm, uh, I'm a fangirl of a couple different authors. I don't think I follow any of their newsletters. <laughs> and so like in a way I'm, I'm very much their ideal reader, but I'm not their ideal subscriber because I, I don't follow them. I just wait until I hear that there's a new book out and then I just go and get it. So that's something that I think is very important to remember is that your ideal reader isn't exactly going to be your ideal subscriber. And basically the goal is to uh, make, make it so that the people on your newsletter list become your super fans. So how often should you email? She doesn't give a hard and fast rule. I know I've done a lot of email training with Larissa Reynolds. She's kind of who my first like email marketing coach was. And her thing is basically, and it's, it's kind of glib, but it's just, you know, email as often as you need to email. And so what I do, I'll tell you how I have mine set up. Um, so I'll for sure email when I have a new release. And what I've started to do recently, um, as in like recently as in the past year or so. So how I do it is I'll send anywhere from like two to five emails when I have a new release. And that sounds to a lot of people like, Oh my goodness, that's way too many emails to send out. And you know, it's not all in the same week. It'll, it might look something like, you know, when it's up on free order, I'll send out an email or two that week. And then like right before it goes live, I might say, hey, this is coming. And then I might do like one on launch day and one a few days later, you know, something like that. But I for sure do this. And what I found is because I used to just be like, okay, people don't want to hear from me. And so I only want to send one email when I have a new book out. And and even just that mindset of people don't want to hear from me, that can be really dangerous. Like, I feel like if you go into your newsletter with this idea of people don't want to hear from me, then that's totally going to come across in your emails. And what I'm talking about are like those super apologetic emails. And I'm going to really, really exaggerate so you guys can understand what I'm saying. But like the emails that are like, hey, guys. I'm really sorry to be bothering you. I know you're super busy, so I'm going to make this really, really short. I just wanted you to know I had a new book out. Like that's that's the vibe that some people use when they send out their emails. And instead, like we should be super excited when we have a new book out. We should be, you know, confident and things like that. So that leads me to another question on organic list growth versus things like contests, giveaways, lead magnets. I've swayed to both extremes. Like I went maybe a year, I probably went a year and a half or so where it was like, I'm only going to focus on organic growth because I don't want people who are just freebie seekers. That can be a problem when you're just relying on lead magnets and things. But then I've also done, you know, like Facebook ads to get new subscribers, a lot of the like book sweeps and things like that. And I think there's a place for both. I don't do newsletter swaps. I used to do like every so often I would do it. I don't do newsletter swaps because like, let's say that there are a dozen authors who do a giveaway 
and everybody signs up for all 12 of their lists. So first of all, that can be a little bit annoying because like on day one, you're going to get 12 welcome emails from people. It's going to be really hard to keep track of who's who. Like, let's say you also probably get 12 free books. Like, I don't know of too many people who are going to read every single one of those books, right? So in that case, it gets more ineffective. But also, so the reason I also don't do newsletter swaps at this stage in my career is if you think about that reader who's on 12 different email lists, then on the day, so let's say I have a new release out and I go to my author friends and say, hey, let's do a newsletter swap. It's very likely that quite a few of those author friends are some of those 12 people because, you know, like we network and do things together. So what it kind of turns into is the same reader getting like a dozen emails about the same book from a dozen different people. And I'm just, I'm not a, a big fan of that. I think there's a place for it for sure. I'm just not a, a huge fan. So let's go into the sender reputation. It can be a little confusing. So I'm going to just kind of rely on what I know about it instead of trying to repeat what she says in Newsletter Ninja. But your sender reputation is how spammy your emails appear. <laughs> and so like, let's take Gmail. And so let's say that I have, uh, I'm a Gmail user and I'm signed up to Author Bob's newsletter list. But unfortunately, Author Bob has gotten like 10% of the people who he emailed last week marked it as spam. Like Gmail knows that, at least they know that 10% of Gmail users marked it as spam. So they're going to be like, okay, we're, we're not big fans of author Bob. I'm going to protect Alana's Gmail account by putting this automatically into spam or promotions or any of those other things. Whereas let's say now let's talk about author George and author George has a really good reputation and Gmail knows that when a Gmail user gets an email from author George. They love to open it. A lot of them go on to click. A lot of them even reply to author George and then he replies back to them and they have this conversation going. So author George has a really good sender reputation. So Gmail is going to see an email from author George and say, oh yeah, this guy's legit. People love to hear from him. We're going to make sure that his email shows up in Alana's um, inbox. So basically things that are going to hurt your sender reputation are a, if people are marking you as spam. And so that's why it's really important to like remind people of where they signed up for your list. Don't like manually add people who haven't agreed to be on your list. It's also a good idea to email more regularly because let's say you only want to email people when you have a new book out, but you only write one book a year. So 90% of people aren't going to remember who you are. And they're just going to get this email out of the blue and be like, I never signed up for this author's list. Why are they spamming me? Some of them are going to market as spam. A lot of them just aren't going to open. So those are things that hurt your sender reputation too. So actually emailing more regularly is very good for your sender reputation. Let's go back to like frequency and how often to write. It was a mental block for me to get over this fear of people don't want to hear from me. And, and here's how I... I figured that I basically, this was a case where I did look at myself. So I, I looked at my own behavior. And like I said, there are some authors that I absolutely fangirl over. I'm going to buy what they write, but I don't want to be on their email list. And I think what helped me to get over my fear of emailing too frequently was realizing, okay, there are going to be some people who just don't want to hear from me. 
and they're not going to be on my list. But there are going to be other people who do want to hear from me. And so I want to absolutely cater to them. So my thought is this, I'm going to email my list a lot. <laughs> like if you're on my list, you're probably going to get at least an email every week, sometimes more, every so often less. But my thought for this is, this means that if you don't want to hear from me, you're just going to unsubscribe yourself. And, and that's totally fine. This is one reason, like one of my early emails in my automation sequence is, hey, why don't you follow me on Facebook? Why don't you follow me on Amazon? Why don't you follow me on BookBub? That way, if they don't want to hear from me in my email all that often, they can at least, uh, you know, follow me in these other areas. My thought is somebody who doesn't want to hear from me very often still might be a very, very avid reader, but they're not going to hear about my books from my newsletter. And the people who do want to hear from me, I may as well like let them keep on hearing from me. It, it, like I said, it does help your sender reputation. So as opposed to like just sending out one email every couple months, at that point, A, some people are going to forget about you. And so they'll be like, why is this person emailing me? And they're either not going to open or even worse, market a spam. Both of those hurt your deliverability. Um, and there's also this thing of the longer you go between emails, even if like, let's say I send an email in February and it gets a lot of clicks and a lot of opens and a lot of people hitting respond and replying to me. Those are all really good things for my email deliverability, like Gmail and these other places are going to see this and be like, wow, people really like opening Alana's emails. But then if I wait five months before I send my next email, I kind of lose my deliverability momentum. So some of it has to do with that side of things as well. And I really recommend like, just get over that mindset. If they don't want to hear from you, then they're going to unsubscribe. And if they're a fan, they're going to find your books elsewhere. But if they want to hear from you, they're going to stay on your email list and they're there because they want to hear from you. So I feel like there's not, uh, email marketing isn't the place to be kind of trying to like, be centrist. Like you're either all in and emailing because they're on your email list or you're doing this thing where you're like, hi guys, sorry, I'm talking to you. And, and that's not, it's not a good, um, not a good, just kind of attitude to project. So this is kind of one of the big, big questions is, is it better to have a very small, but engaged list or a really big list? Now in general, I kind of lean more towards small and engaged, but Here's the caveat. You don't know with 100% certainty who's engaging because some people are not like there's a certain way that you can open your emails with images not being automatically downloaded and things like that. So if I email Carrie and Carrie's got it set up so that images aren't being downloaded, she may open every single one of my emails, but it might look to ConvertKit like she's not active at all. And my tendency would be, okay, I want to get rid of Carrie because she's not reading my emails. Um, she might be a great subscriber and I just don't see that. So there are some people who will go and scrub their list every three to 12 months and basically say, like, take anybody who hasn't opened their emails, be like, hey, do you guys still want to be on this list? If not, you're going to get, you know, unsubscribed automatically. I have done this before. I probably will do it sometimes, but the the danger in that is you're never you're never totally a hundred percent sure who is signing up. So I think it's a little bit of yeah, you don't want to have like an email list of five thousand people and only have fifty people who regularly open. A, you're you're paying for five thousand subscribers who aren't good subscribers, and B, it's hurting your deliverability um, because places like Gmail are seeing like hardly anybody opens this author's emails. 
But there's also this sense of, well, you, you don't know for sure who's following you. So it's, it is a little bit hard. Like I follow some like online marketing teachers, but I don't want their emails every day. And so I have them automatically filtered to go to a separate file that I'll look at like maybe once a week, maybe once every other week. So like I still get to them, but I, I definitely don't do it right away. So in my mind, I'm a little conflicted because I think there is a balance of needing to um, keep your list a little bit clean so that you do have good engagement. But also it's, it is a little hard to know exactly who the good subscribers are. Like my, my open rates right around like 40 to 45%, but each email it's like different, different 40 to 45% of people. Right. And so that's another reason why when I have a new release, I'll make sure to talk that up over the course of, you know, several emails. So this was for sure covered in the book. It was pretty early on in the book. Like, what do you do if you don't feel like you have anything to say? And um, this again is where it's helpful to remember that your subscribers aren't like you. So you might think that you have a pretty, not quite boring, you know, life, but like you might just not think you're all that interesting. Whereas if someone, uh, like, I don't know if this ever happens to you, like every once in a while, someone will email me, I'll email them back and they'll be like, Oh, that's so crazy. Like, I didn't know that you would actually respond to me. This is so cool. I'm like, okay, I'm just me. Like I probably responded in my pajamas, right? <laughs> but to them, like, that's really cool. This is another question that like, how personal do you get in your emails? Because some people want to stay super, super private. Like I don't share pictures of my kids on social media or anything like that. Um, You know, I don't use their names and things, but I, you know, like I try to be authentic about things. Like I have one email that goes out in my automation where I talk about like struggles with depression or things like that. I feel like there's ways to still have things to say where you don't have to divulge every dark and dirty secret of yours. But going back to this question of like, well, I just don't know what to say. A, yeah. Remember that in some people's minds, you are a celebrity, which means you're, you're pretty interesting. Um, what you talk about doesn't necessarily have to be like exactly related to one of your books. Like people love stories. And they like being entertained. So if you just have a funny story or, you know, something that's entertaining, that can definitely work. I like having an automation sequence running in the background so that if I do feel like there's not a whole lot to say, like I, I don't have to come up with an email. So what I do, and, and this took quite a, like it, it's taken a couple years to build, but I've got an automation sequence where like on Saturdays, Sometimes it's every Saturday. Sometimes there's like one or two Saturdays in between. But basically I've got maybe like 40 emails that are going to go out on Saturdays, like one after the other. So you can be on my list and still be getting automated emails like a year later after you sign up. And so those are just kind of going in the background. They usually end up having something to do with the book, but they're not hard sells. So like, for example, I talk in one of them about how my grandparents were sent to an internment camp during the Japanese American internment of World War II. I don't name the camp. I don't give any identifying information, but I mentioned this because like I said, A, people like stories. B, people like to know kind of what's going on behind the scenes. And, and then what I do is I just use that to say, I think this is one of the reasons why I get passionate about like human rights issues, freedom issues. This is why like, yeah, it's kind of funny that I'm half Japanese, but I write about North Korea, but I think it, it kind of ties in because it's, you know, a similar theme of like persecution, freedom, all of that. So 
it's a it's a soft sell. It's not all about like, hey guys, did you know that three years ago I wrote a book about North Korea? Because like sometimes I'm I'm talking about books that are that old. But it's it's more about the story for sure. You know, like funny, bizarre things like I've got this um fear of fish that I talk about every so often in my in my automation sequence. And every once in a while, like someone will email me back like I'm terrified of fish too, but I never knew that there was anybody else in the world that like had this problem. And I forget exactly like how I tie that into books. But again, it's just, it's a very soft, like, yeah, here's a funny story about why I'm so scared of fish. And Hey, if you like hearing about people who overcome their fears, go ahead and read this book or, or something. So yeah, just soft sells with story and entertainment value can be really, really nice. Um, and yeah, when you get to where you can have that automation sequence going in the background, that's a lot of pressure off you because then even if you don't have something brand new coming out, for example, you can still uh, just trust that those emails are working for you in the background. So I actually have to, I have my onboarding sequence, which is a welcome sequence where, you know, and this one, like it's an email every couple of days and it's, um, all the kinds of things to just introduce somebody to who I am, to my books. I've got one where it's like, hey, join my Facebook group, follow me on Amazon, those kinds of things. And then after they go through that, then they get automatically put into this backlist automation that I talked about. And that one, like I said, it probably take a full year and a half to go through. And then you also start getting my emails about new releases and stuff. I try to think about how I can serve my audience. That's the other thing. Because if you feel like, you are bugging your audience every time you show up in their inbox. Again, you're going to come across with that kind of awkward, apologetic tone showing or, or thinking about it as a way of how can I serve these people as opposed to how can, you know, how can I get something out of it? Like some of my emails, I most of my emails, I'll try to do one of two things. So, and they vary in tone. Some are pretty inspirational. Like I would say maybe like 30%, I try to be very inspirational uh, like on a spiritual level, because I do have a Christian audience. So talking about, you know, like faith-based things, prayer, I do try to incorporate that so that when you open it, what your what the reader gets out of it is like just some really good encouragement and inspiration. And then the rest of the emails, like I would say like the other 70% or so, I try to be just entertaining or fun because that's nice too. Like people love stories even if your story has very little to do with the book you're trying to sell, kind of like my thing about fish, like it's kind of weird to have a fear of fish. I know some people do, but if you've never met somebody who has publicly admitted, like I am absolutely terrified of fish, like I don't go to aquariums or anything, guys, that's kind of weird and bizarre. And people like reading about that kind of thing. And I, I make it fun. You know, it's not like, oh, you guys should feel so sorry for me. It's like, no, guys, I recognize this is a very weird <laughs> kind of phobia. Um, and then I just mentioned, yeah, like, for example, it's, you know, five paragraphs about how, how bizarre is it that Alana is scared of fish and a little PS at the end. Oh, by the way, speaking of fear, hey, maybe you guys would like the suspense novel. So it doesn't have to like tie in exactly to what you're doing. Sometimes just stories are fun. So yeah, think about what your, what your reader is getting. How are you serving your reader? Like recommending books can be a great, great one for this or things like that. Should you ask people to unsubscribe? Some people do do this. They'll be like, you know, somewhere early on in their onboarding, like, hey, I'm going to be emailing you about this, this and that, but feel free to hit unsubscribe if you don't want to. I'm 10% in understanding, like I'm 10% sympathetic to that in terms of, yeah, like if, if they don't want to hear from you, they don't belong on your list. Like, um, don't get hurt feelings. When you eat, like I used to be afraid to email my list because every time I emailed at least, you know, a few people would unsubscribe. That's 
that's silly. If if they don't want to hear from you, you don't want them on your list because it, it hurts your deliverability and it annoys them. So in that sense, I totally get saying something like, hey, if this isn't your thing, unsubscribe. But 90% of me kind of feels like um, you're getting more into that sort of apologetic mindset, which is like, I know you guys don't really want to hear from me. And so what I do now is I just say, hey, if they want to unsubscribe, they can absolutely unsubscribe with my blessing. I don't take it personally. I'm grateful when they unsubscribe because I don't want to be paying for subscribers who don't want to hear from me. But I also don't mention it as an option. I think that people are familiar enough with newsletters by now that they can kind of find the unsubscribe button on their own. But I do make sure that it's really, really visible, right? You don't want to like hide your unsubscribe button or something like you want people who don't want to hear from you to unsubscribe like as quickly as you can. That's one reason why my onboarding sequence, it's, I mean, it's pretty long. It's probably like 12 emails in the course of two and a half weeks. Like that's, that's a lot of emails. My thought is, Hey, they don't want to hear from me. I want them to unsubscribe right away. Uh, but I also don't ask them to do it. But I, I do get why some people would want to point that out. I think for me, it came down to mindset. And I didn't want to feel apologetic um, about that. Because like I said, that kind of comes out. And yeah, I know you guys don't really want to hear from me. My thought is I'm going to gonna send you a lot of emails. And you have my blessing to hit that unsubscribe if you want. Okay. So thank you guys. This was fun for me. I hope it was fun for you. And I hope you guys are having a great day and we'll talk to you. Guys.